We're going through the book of Acts over a seven-week period, right? We, before this, we talked about um, this, the, a sermon series called Not Alone, where we looked at depression and anxiety. But now we kind of shifted gears, and over the next seven weeks, we're going through the book of Acts. And Acts, a little context on the book of Acts. A little context in the book of Acts. It's written by a man named Luke. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Shocker, right? He wrote the book of Luke, which is one of the four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, one, are the four Gospels. Luke wrote one of those. But he also wrote another book, and that's the book of Acts. And basically, it's like volume one and volume two of uh, one whole book. Basically, the book of Luke is kind of volume one, where Luke wrote about all that Jesus did from the day he was born to the day he died and he rose from the grave. So the book of Luke covers that period of time. The book of Acts then starts right when Luke, right where Luke left off in the book of Luke and covers from the ascension of Jesus when he rose from the grave and follows it out um, basically to the start of the early church, right? And so the book of Acts is what we're looking at. It's basically the first historical view of the Christian church. The Christian church started uh, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, right, where 12 random guys, average guys, started proclaiming uh, this good news of Jesus. And now 2,000 years later in Beaverton, Oregon, and all across the globe today, people are still talking about this same Jesus. So no matter where you're at in your faith, if you're in here today and you're like, I don't even believe in Jesus, I, I was with you. Or if you're like, I don't even believe in God, I was with you too, I was at that point in my life too. It doesn't matter, everyone agrees that this Christian movement, the, the Christian church is a miracle. Because it started 2,000 years ago with 12 just guys that were, that were in a room, right? There's been a lot of religions, a lot of different things, cults, different things that have started but haven't lasted Yet, Christianity is the, most, is, is the most common religion in the entire world over atheism and everything else, right? And so, we have to pay attention. And the book of Acts is basically the first historical view of this church, of how this Christian movement started. I want to know how this started. How did this movement for Jesus start and take place? And so, that's what we're going to look at. Um, also, a reminder that we are not going to be able to cover the entire book. We're not going to be able to read through every chapter and every verse of this. So I challenged you last week um, to read one chapter a day through the book of Acts over the next seven weeks. And that takes maybe five minutes a day. And the reason behind this is because we need to make sure that we as individuals are spending time alone with God. The God of this universe wants to have an intimate relationship, right, with each one of us. God, the God that created you, wants to have a personal relationship. And it's just like anything else. If you want to have a personal, intimate relationship with someone, you won't just spend time in group settings with them. You want to spend time alone with them, getting to know them on a more personal level. Well, that God wants that same thing for you. So over the next seven weeks, spend time, just one chapter a day. Everyone can put away five minutes a day to read through the book of Acts. And, and by the time we finish this series, you will have read through the entire book of Acts um, in Scripture. So last week, we talked about, um, we started this series in Acts 1, and we focused on one verse, which is Acts 1, verse 8. You'll throw it up there, Ismari. It says this. This is Jesus talking. Just to recap, if you weren't with us last week. Jesus said this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This right here is basically the the mission statement for this entire book. If you follow this, this outline, we will see exactly what this verse says. First, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out onto the disciples, which we're going to read about in Acts 2. Right after that, then they realize that they are called to be witnesses for Jesus, which we see there. And then they, they basically are become witnesses for him in Jerusalem first, and then it spreads to Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. And we're still a part of this. Let's get your attention. We're still a part of this. This movement for Jesus, we are still a part of it. To the ends of this earth, to Beaverton, Oregon in 2018, we are still a part of this book of Acts. If it would have continued, if Luke would have continued to write about this and lived as long as we're here today, we would have been continuing, we would have been in this book, right? It's a historical book of this this Christian movement of the early church. So we're going to read Acts 2. Flip your Bibles open to Acts 2, verse 22 is what we're going to read. We're going to read Acts 2, 22 through 24, and then also verses 29 through 39. Um, But before we do that, Acts 2, the first 21 verses that we're not going to read, basically what happens is Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out onto them. And they're like, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. You're right, neither do we, right? What is the Holy Spirit? And so they just sat in this room, and then all of a sudden, God did pour out His Spirit onto them. And then from there, they, it says, Scripture says that they started speaking in different languages. They started speaking in languages they didn't even know. And because of that, people through, this was just 12 guys that, had, that were filled with the Spirit. They all started speaking in different languages. And then because of that, people around the surrounding area started hearing their own language being spoken and was, and was like, I need it. What, what's going on? I need to check that out. And so they started, uh, thousands of people started to gather around these 12 disciples. They were, they, they were filled with the Spirit, 12 guys filled with the Spirit. Then they started speaking different languages. And then the people around the surrounding areas were like, they're speaking in my language. I need to come see what's going on. I'm interested in this. So when thousands of people gathered around them, one guy stood up. And this guy was named Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples. Peter stood up. And what we're about to read is what he said to the, these thousands of people. Does that make sense? There's thousands of people. We've got to picture this. Picture this in your mind. Thousands of people were gathered around, this, around Peter and around the 12 disciples. Peter decided to stand up and speak to these people. And what we're going to read is what he said. And basically, this is the first sermon that was ever preached in the, in the Christian church. What we're about to read is basically the first, uh, the first message that was preached to a large amount of people. So verse 22, Peter said this to the thousands of people gathered around him. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Pause. All of a sudden, Peter says, hey, this guy rose from the grave. And all these people were witnesses of it, because everyone at that time, they were shocked, because they were like, where is the body? Where is Jesus' body? I don't know. Where, that's kind of for you. You have to decide that. 
These Israelites were like, I don't know where Jesus' body is at. He's right. We can't find him. Where is it at? If, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave and they knew where his body was at, they would have been like, well, Peter, hold up. That's all false of what you just said. That's completely wrong because the body is right here. But these thousands of people that were in this area had no idea where Jesus' body was at. Was at. So they were like, well, he's either right or someone else took the body. I don't know. And that's kind of what we have to decide today too, right? If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you're, then you're believing exactly what Peter said. Now listen to what he said. Verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. He predicted what was to happen. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor his body, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. He's talking to thousands of people there. You crucified him, both Lord and Messiah. Now, what, what was the reaction of the thousands of people? He said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, well, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. God, I, even as we, we read your word, there's people in here today that are distracted by the, what's going on around them, what's going on in society. God, I just pray that over the next 15 minutes, God, we can just learn from you. We can put away everything that is around us for 15 minutes. God, you created us. So we're going to give 15 minutes to you right now, and we just ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we say, amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, I've titled this sermon, Your Failure is Not Final. Your Failure is Not Final. You see, what we basically just read was the first sermon of the Christian church, right? It was the very first message that was preached to start this movement of Jesus. And a couple verses after what we just read in Scripture, it says that the thousands of people that were gathered, there was 3,000 of them that decided to believe in Jesus and be baptized that day. So the first message that Peter preached, 3,000 people were saved that day. And, but my thing is that if God chose Peter to be the first one to preach at the, on the first day of the Christian church, on the first day of, on, on Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out. If God chose Peter to do that, I would assume that Peter was a very devoted and faithful in following Jesus. I would assume that he didn't make many mistakes. I would assume that he didn't betray or deny Jesus, right? God chose Peter. God could have chosen anyone, Yet he chose this guy named Peter to be the first one to preach, right? So obviously, in my opinion, I would assume that, that Peter was one of the most faithful 
followers of Jesus that never made a mistake. But what we're going to find out is the exact opposite. Flip your Bibles to Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35, which is basically four books before the book of Acts. One of the first Gospels, Matthew 26, verse 31. It'll be on the board, too. But basically what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about two guys in Scripture, two dudes. We're going to talk about two of Jesus' best friends. And the night Jesus was arrested and went to the cross, that night when he was arrested and went to the cross and was crucified, which everyone believes in here today, if you look into history, atheism, I don't care, everyone believes that Jesus was a person that died and now we can't find his body. So this is the truth, but the night he was arrested and went to the cross, two of his friends had massive failures. Two had massive failures. Judas was one of Jesus' friends. He had the betrayal, or he had the um, failure of betrayal. He betrayed Jesus. Peter, who we just talked about, one of Jesus' best friends, had the failure of denial. He denied Jesus. And what we're going to see, though, we're going to look at these two different guys. And what we're going to see is they made the same mistake. They both failed Jesus, yet they had two completely different destinies. And I'll show you. They they went two completely different ways with their life. Matthew 26, verse 31. This is right before the Last Supper, which was basically when Jesus had dinner with all of his disciples. Right before then, he was crucified and went to the cross. It says this. Then Jesus told them, talking to his disciples, he said, This very night you, all, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, this is the same guy who just preached, right? This is the same guy who was the first person to preach, right, on the, on the first day of the Christian church. He replied to Jesus, But Jesus, even if all of these guys fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered to him. He said, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, listen, Peter looked probably Jesus in the eyes and said this, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You see, one of my, I'm going to take you into my personal life, one of my biggest regrets in my entire life. One of the biggest failures in my entire life, one of the things I will never forget, is the time when I blatantly denied Jesus. I, I, I just blatantly denied him. I disobeyed God. When I gave my life to Jesus junior year of college, like many of you know, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I believed in him. But I wasn't living like it. Right? I was still living a lifestyle that wasn't following him. And it was more importantly, it was, it was more about a relationship with a girl that I had that I was not completely giving up. But I was still believing in Jesus, right? And so I would wake up in the morning, and I'd spend time with the Lord in in His Word and in prayer, and then i just feel the Holy Spirit convict me. I just felt convicted. I just felt like God was calling me, hey, you need to get out of this. You need to get out of this. And so I'd be like, okay, God, I'll get out of it. I'll do it today. I'll do it. And then the day would go on. I never would do it. Next morning, got up, spent time with Jesus, and all of a sudden I felt convicted. I, many of you in here probably feel convicted about something that you're doing right now. And you probably feel the Holy Spirit convicting you. And I, would like, I was like, okay, God, I'll do it. I promise I'll do it today. The day would go on. I never would do it. Okay, the days and weeks went on the same exact thing, probably for about a month or so. To the point where junior year of college, I went downstairs in my house, and I was making breakfast in my kitchen. Never forget it. Making breakfast in my kitchen. And I just felt so convicted 
I've never felt so convicted in my life. Uh, I probably won't ever feel this convicted before. And I felt so convicted that I got on my knees in my kitchen in my house, junior year of college, before I went to class. I literally started crying and I started yelling at God, God, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. I can't break up with her. I can't do this. You see, I blatantly denied Jesus. I disobeyed God when I knew for a fact he was calling me one way, and I went the exact opposite way. But this is exactly what Peter did here as well. Peter, what we're going to read right now, Peter literally looked looked Jesus in the eyes and said, Jesus, even even if I have to die, I won't deny you. 30 verses after Peter just said that, let's see what he says. Verse 69, it'll be on the board. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. Peter denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. Peter said, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent even gives it away. He had an accent that gave away that he was actually following Jesus, right? And he, they, then he began to call down curses, it says. And Peter swore to them and said, I don't know that man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he cried and wept bitterly. You see, it's crazy because every person in here can relate to Judas and Peter, right? We can relate to to denying Jesus. We all have failed God. We've all made mistakes. I don't care if you you don't even if you're not even saying yes, I I have made a mistake. You have. We've all done it. We we can all relate to this. However, what we're gonna see is there's two routes you can go. What scripture shows. There's two routes you can go as Judas, which we'll talk about, and Peter show. You see, scripture says that Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. Basically, Judas, uh, he betrayed Jesus by turning him into authorities and basically for a couple bucks. Judas was paid a couple dollars to then say, hey, this is Jesus and you should, you, here you go, now you can crucify him. So he, he betrayed Jesus. And Peter looked Jesus in the eye and said, hey, no, Jesus, I'll die before I deny you. Yet what did he do? He denied him, right? You see, they, they both failed God. But we need to recognize the two places that failure can take us and mistakes can take us. There's two places they can take us. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus. This is what happened. Judas betrayed Jesus and he rejected, what, what did he do? How did he respond to that? Well, he rejected the mercy and forgiveness of God. And he later, scripture says he later went out to kill himself. Judas committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. That's one direction he went, right? Okay, Peter, what did Peter do? Peter made the same mistake. Peter denied Jesus, right? He denied him. What happened to Peter? Well, Peter accepted the mercy and forgiveness of God. And later went out to be the first one to preach on the first day of the Christian church. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be the rock on which I build my church. So we need to learn a little bit of lessons from Peter, right? Because there's two routes it looks like people have went. So we've all failed, right? 
So the thing is, though, is that we have a problem in here. Our problem that we all have is that we have a problem getting past our past. We have a problem like getting past our past and what we've done, right? I heard a story of a guy. He was telling me that in sixth grade, he was a, he was a bigger child. He was a big kid in sixth grade. And he was terrible. He was great at every subject except for one. He was terrible at P.E., he was really bad at physical education. He couldn't figure it out. And so in sixth grade for this guy, he had P.E. class right after he had lunch. I don't know whose idea that was. But after lunch, he had P.E. class. And at lunch one day, he had, they were serving Mexican food. And I don't know about you, but Mexican food sometimes doesn't treat me right. Right? It doesn't treat me right. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> doesn't treat me right. So it's like Taco Bell doesn't treat me that well. Like doesn't, I mean, even like things like McDonald's, that doesn't treat me very well. You know what I mean? I go to McDonald's, I order like a McChicken. The McChicken turns into the McTummy Egg. McTummy Egg turns into the McGurgles. McGurgles turns into the McFarts. McFarts turns into the... I, we'll stop, right? So it doesn't treat me right. This guy in sixth grade, he had Mexican food. He had a ton of Mexican food in sixth grade at lunch. He then went to P.E. class. At P.E. class, he found out they're going to do a sit-up challenge. They're doing a sit-up challenge in P.E. class. Who can do the most sit-ups? So this dude was sitting there, sixth grade. He's a bigger kid, right? He's not good at P.E. He's not good at P.E. class. And the teacher's partnering up with, with different the people in the, in, the other students in the class. And he was partnered with this girl named Tara Ann. And let me tell you about Tara Ann. Tara Ann was that, that, that girl that everyone wanted to date. She was the cute girl. She was the one that everyone was going to marry. She was the popular one. So he was married with, or he was not married. He was, he was partnered with Tara Ann. And they got, he was going first. They got up, got in a sit-up position. Tara Ann had her hands on his feet and holding his feet down. You know what he's getting at. And all of a sudden, he, in his mind, he's like, this is my shot. This is my one chance. If I do the most sit-ups in this class, I guarantee Tara Ann's going to marry me. And so he's going after it, right? I'd be going after it too, right? I'm, I'm doing more sit-ups than anyone else. And so the whistle blows. He starts crunching. One, two. On the third crunch, he ripped one right in Tara Ann's face. It part, basically parted her hair. Tara Ann got up, walked to the bathroom. He got up, cried, ran to the bathroom, Right? In the rest of middle school and the rest of high school, every time this guy would see Tara Ann in the hallway, he'd book it. Because he knew that Tara Ann remembered what he did to her, right? Ten-year reunion from high school. This is what this guy says. Ten-year reunion. I'm not making this stuff up. Ten-year reunion. He said that he was at this ten-year reunion, and this girl, like, kind of put him on the, like, on the shoulder there. And he, tur- he turned to her. He turned to her and said... He turned to her, and she was like, do you know who I am? And he was like, Tara Ann, there's never a day in my life. I don't remember what I did to you that day in sixth grade. You see, this guy had a problem getting past his past. But hold on. The thing is, though, is that this, funny, this, this story may be funny, but we all have something in our lives that we're struggling getting past our past. That, that isn't really that funny. Right? It's, not, it's not really that funny. Like, I, I have things in my past that they're not like that. They're not very funny, right? But I have a problem getting past my past. But the thing about Scripture and what I see all throughout Scripture and what I know about God is that my failure is not final. 
my failure isn't final. You see, the reason why I know that my failure is not final is because if you did a roll call of all the disciples who betrayed Jesus at the cross, Jesus' most painful time in his life, the most painful death you can die, if, the, if you did a roll call of all the disciples who betrayed Jesus at that time, at the top of the list would be this guy named Peter, right? Yet, Peter's massive failure was not even close to the final word God had for his life. Peter had a massive failure, but God says, no, 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 that's not all I have in store for your life. Because listen, 50 days after Peter's failure, 50 days after he denied Jesus, 50 days after that, God chose Peter to be the one to stand up and preach to thousands of people. And 3,000 people were baptized and gave their life to Jesus that day. 3,000 people. You see, I believe that God is telling us today that I'm not looking for someone perfect. I'm actually looking for someone who, who has messed up. I'm looking for someone who has a story. Right? I'm looking for someone who has failed me. I'm looking for someone who has denied me. I'm looking for someone who where the Holy Spirit was convicting me, was convicting me personally. I'm looking for someone who denied me. Yet now, because of the grace of God, now I can go tell him and tell everyone about him. Right? God's looking for someone with mistakes, which we all are. You see, God told Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. This isn't final. This is not how it ends. This isn't how your life is supposed to go. This isn't how your life ends. Your failure isn't final. I'm going to invite up Jamie in the worship band now. As the beginning to close here. So let's go back to the beginning. Back to the beginning, right? Two, two guys, Judas, Peter. Two guys. They both made massive failures, massive mistakes. They both betrayed God. They both denied God, which all of you in here have. Sorry to say that, but you all, you, we all have. Yet they had two different destinies. One didn't accept the mercy of God and later went out to kill himself because he felt so bad. The other one accepted the mercy of God and later went out to be the one on which Jesus built his church, the church that is still building to this day, the, and to be the first one to preach on the first day of the Christian church on the day of Pentecost. So my question is this. It's my question. Are you going to respond like Judas or like Peter? You see, Judas had a breakdown. Peter had a breakthrough. Judas gave up. Peter looked up. Judas rejected the mercy of God. Peter accepted the mercy of God. Judas lived completely in condemnation. Peter lived in celebration. Judas ended up taking his life in despair. Peter ended up living his life on purpose. Right? So the question is, like, how will you respond? How are you going to respond? You see, all throughout the Christian church, we're looking through Acts, right? 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem is where this whole thing started. 2,000 years ago... We, we see that God built his church on people who have failed. And up to this point, God's still looking for people who have failed to build his church. I, I, I firmly believe that there's people in here who are, who are the Peters. Like, you, you, you are the next Peter. If you failed God, you're in. You're the next, you're the next Peter, Right? God is not looking for someone who's perfect. He's looking for someone who's, who's made mistakes. And so 
What I want to do, I want to put all the journals away, all your Bibles away, put them under your chair. And we're going to respond just by prayer and then one last song. I'm asking everyone to bow their heads with me. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. We're just going to respond to this. Just with prayer.